Good morning, Grace Community Church. I'm Pastor Tan, and I'm the children's pastor here at Grace. So I spend a lot of my time up in Kids City upstairs, and every once in a while, the, the other pastors, they let me come down out of Kids City to spend time with the, the adults. So I'm excited to be here with you this morning. My wife, Ariel, my son, Marcus, we've been here almost a year now, and uh, we have just loved every minute of it. 2016 went by very, very fast. I'm sure a lot of you can attest to that. But here we are, first day 2017, and we here at Grace, we really feel like God is going to do extraordinary things this year in 2017. A lot of landmarks are going to be established this year is what we're really, really praying for, and we pray that those landmarks would, would be established in your lives as well. So we're in this one-minute series, and we're, we're wrapping it up today, and next week we're going to have an incredible recap service to see all that God has done over in our church over this last year. But today we're going to conclude our, our, our series, and we're going to realize that all of this eternal state talk that we've been doing over the course of these last few months is incredible. We've learned that, that Jesus has won us eternity. He has won us through his death and resurrection an incredible gift, eternal life with him one day in heaven. It's incredible. It's a reality that cannot be stripped or taken from us as Christians. But as we journey, as we live our lives here on this earth, we're going to see today that, that we actually have present responsibilities that God wants us to undertake and fight for as we live the lives that God wants us to live. So today I hope that you come away treasuring Jesus, hoping in heaven, but realizing that you have the power right now to live the lives that God wants you to to live. We have an incredible freedom that's been given to us. Those of you that are sitting here right now that are in Jesus Christ, that have a faith in him, you have a blood-bought freedom. It's a freedom that Jesus gave to you when he saved you from your sin. You are no longer characterized or chained down by your old way of life. He's now made you a child of God. And he wants you to, to realize that freedom and he wants you to stand up and fight for that freedom as well. Check out this clip. I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? We will run! And we will live! Aye. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds, many years from now, 
Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! I almost came out with the blue face paint on today. Like, I, I, man, it's one of my favorite movies. I love that clip. But what he says, what Wallace says in that clip speaks so true to us as Christians. Wallace had gathered an army, and they were getting ready to, to take down the English. And the English army was massive. His men were afraid. That one dude was honest. He stepped out and was like, <laughs> Those guys look scary. I'd actually rather run and uh, maybe live. And Wallace is out there. He's saying, guys, you are free men. Come and fight as free men. Because there is an enemy out there in our lives as Christians across that field of battle. And he wants to take us down. His name is Satan. In scripture, he's characterized as a prowling lion looking around for someone to devour. I always picture him as like Scar off of Lion King. You guys know what I'm talking about? He's just like, just an evil dude. He's just looking for someone to take down. That's who our enemy is. And it can be intimidating. But we have the freedom of Christ within our hearts if we are believers in Christ. And what God is calling all of us to do is to stand up and fight each and every day for the way of life that he wants us to live. Because our enemy is going to be throwing at us temptation after temptation. He's going to try to to move us into doing evil things. But through the Holy Spirit, the power that literally rose Jesus up from the grave, that is in our hearts. And through him, we can have daily victory over these battles of temptation that Satan gives to us. We're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 3 today. So turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you came this morning and don't have a Bible or would like a Bible, our ushers are there to to pass them out. So feel free to raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. We'd love for you to, to take this home with you as a gift from us to you. But Colossians chapter 3 We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. 1 through 11, Colossians chapter 3. If you'd all stand with me, please. We're going to read this passage together this morning. Here we go. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. So the main thing that we want to get across today is that Jesus is our treasure as believers, and our hope is heaven. But Jesus gives us the power to live God's way every day. And the main thrust in these first few verses, one through four, we're going to realize that Christ has won us something extraordinary. It says here that we have been raised with Christ. What does that mean? What it means is that when all of us put our faith in Jesus, when we realized our need for a savior and we gave him our lives, it means that our lives were transformed and literally brought back to life. We were dead. We were like zombies, if you will. And when the transforming power of Christ came into our hearts and we accepted salvation, We did not physically come out of the tomb with Jesus. But when he came out of the tomb, he represented what we did as well. And he brought us back to new, fresh life. He goes on to say that he wants us to keep our minds and our hearts towards heaven and not on the things of this earth. I think often we're all sitting here and I think we all deal with these temptations. But I think we deal with this temptation to to get so caught up in the day-to-day. We get so caught up in our routines, our jobs, our families, our hobbies. And we go 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 and our routine is our routine to the point when we are so earthly-minded that we completely forget the heavenly mission that God has called us to. A lot of you may have heard that, the statement, you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Well, I'd like to say, as Christians, we should be so heavenly minded, which is going to make us so earthly good. And so Christ wants us to center our lives, our passions that flow from our heart, the thoughts that we think about from our minds. And he wants us to revolve those things around the way that he wants us to live and what he has done for us through the gospel. He wants us to put him on the throne instead of our routines, instead of our jobs or our hobbies or our families. He wants us to have him on the throne of our lives. He goes on to say something incredible. He says here that our lives, because we are Christians, are now hidden in God through Christ. It's an incredible reality. And what it means is this. When Jesus saved us, he wrapped us in his love. 
as a security blanket, not something to be kept a secret, but as a security blanket so that literally nothing in this, in this world or the spiritual realms, nothing will be able to kidnap us or snatch us and take us away from that love. When we are in Christ, we're never coming out because he hides us in his love and makes sure that we are always his forever, period. Isn't that an incredible reality? That when we give our lives to Christ and we say, Jesus, you are the Lord of all. You are the savior of the world and he saves us. That's what he wins for us. Eternal security with his love. There's no other love like that. There's nothing better than that love. There's no price tag that you can put on that. It's like that MasterCard commercial. I think it's MasterCard, priceless. That's what Jesus' love is. He's so much better, he's so much greater than simply serving and being a servant to your your routine and your schedule and your job. He wants you to be a servant of him. And then he wants you to go into your daily life and he wants you to impact your routine for his glory with his mission at hand. He doesn't want us to grow apathetic. Verse four, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Wow. Like I know a lot of you, you had probably a lot of Christmas Eve parties last night or New Year's Eve, excuse me, sorry, wrong day. New Year's Eve party, there were fireworks going off at our house. It was hard to sleep, frankly. People were having a great time. I'm sure you guys were having a great time too. But guys, can you imagine the party that there's going to be when we appear before our Savior? Wow. Like, the, the, the Savior of the world, the one that stepped down into our world to save us from our sin, we're going to see him face to face. We are going to have a face to face relationship with him for eternity because he's going to appear. And he's preparing us now, every single day, for that time when we will be with him in glory. I know a lot of you can attest to this that you are no longer who you used to be because of God's grace. Am I right? But here's an incredible truth. All of us who are Christians are not yet what we're going to be. Because every single day, God in us is working to change us and transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just come down and save us for then. He came down and saved us for now as well. So that we could have this freedom to carry out the mission that he gave us to go out and to reach the lost people in our world with the gospel. So what Christ has given us is so incredible. It cannot be taken from us. It's always in front of us. And as Christians, we must learn to treasure that and to hope in that and to realize that that starting there as our root, he will give us the power to fight off these sinful temptations that Satan is going to throw at us. These next sections are heavy. And what I would urge is that what I've been praying 
is that the spirit would come into all of our hearts and convict us and lead us in this time as we examine our lives, as we examine the temptations and desires that Satan, our enemy, is going to be throwing at us, I would encourage you that if the Holy Spirit is, is, is bringing those little hints of conviction in your heart, that you would not just cast them aside and ignore them. But it would be what I would urge you to do, to, to run in that very moment, to use that conviction, conviction to run to the forgiveness that Christ offers you at this very, very moment. But all of us, if, if, if you're honest, we would all probably say that, that there is some level of, of fascination with fire. Am I correct? Am I right about that? Who else likes a good summer bonfire? Raise your hand. A lot of us in this room, we love bonfires. Okay, myself personally, I could sit around a, a blazing fire for days, maybe. There's just something about watching that, that wood burn. A couple years ago, one of my buddies was getting married, and so we threw a bachelor party for him. And uh, we're pretty simple guys. We were, all we really needed was a bonfire. So we're, that night, we're all just sitting around this bonfire, talking, sharing stories, and it was a, it was a great time. But there came a point in the evening when it was just like, man, we, there, something else has to be done here. Like, this, this night could get a lot better. And so we started tossed around some ideas, and we came up with a good one. I went to the convenience store and got a couple propane tanks. And uh, my other buddy went and got about 10 gallons of gas. And so we, we kind of constructed this little straw bale fort, if you will. And uh, we had a little fire already going there. And so we kind of, kind of edged the, the, these two five-gallon buckets of gas up to the fire. We kind of put the the propane tanks up there, and then we all sprinted. I mean, we, we sprinted away from this thing. And then my buddy got his, uh, his rifle out. And so at first, we were kind of like 100 yards away, and then we were like, Ugh. So he, I was like, you're getting married tomorrow. Let's, let's back up to 200 yards. So we, we back up, and he blasts a couple rounds through these propane tanks, and oh my word, I've never seen such an explosion. It was incredible. Like it literally, like we had probably eight bales of straw surrounding this little concoction. And probably within 10 to 15 seconds, the straw bales were gone. I mean, it just incinerated them. I mean, it was was amazing. And I loved it. It was so much fun. But I think a lot of, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about how that that kind of pertains to, to our lives as Christians. How there is something in us that is tempted to play with fire. There are those times in our lives when, when, when Satan, he gives us those temptations, he gives us those thoughts, and we let them sink in. And then slowly but surely, we, we, we see the line, and we slowly kind of edge our way towards it, and we're kind of looking on the other side and we're like, man, that might, that might feel kind of good or, man, it really would be great to just say those words about him or her. I think it would just really relieve a lot of stress or we could go on and on and we edge ourselves to the edge, looking over, thinking if it would be a good decision. We play with fire. We see how close we can get before we get burned. 
God does not want us to live like that. God does not want us to be living in these cycles where we're seeing how close to the fire we can get without being harmed. He wants us to be murderers of our sinful temptations. It's the only murder in all scripture that's fully pleasing, acceptable to God. He wants us to be killers of the temptations that come into our hearts and into our minds. And he gives us the power to kill through his Holy Spirit. He lists lists these, this first group of, of sins off, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. These first three revolve around the the sins of our flesh, the sexual sins that the Colossians were dealing with and that we all deal with here in our present world. Technology is readily at hand for everybody to use. Pornography is growing at rapid rates in our society. Lingering looks at another man's wife or another woman's husband Sex outside of marriage. The list goes on. Evil desires. These are, are things, general, generally speaking, things like being selfish, choosing to put yourself above someone else, or sins of apathy, thinking that, that our, little, our little bubble, our little routine, our little life is all that really matters. Our sin of apathy is dangerous. It's just as dangerous as our temptations for pornography or any sexual sin. Because Satan wants to lure us away. And he wants us to think that this little life that we have is is really all that we're living for. To the point where we completely forget the mission at hand that God has given to us. I've been here, and I know that a lot of you have been there too, where you get to a point where you like... You just have this realization that you've been living in such a way that you really don't even care if someone that you know that doesn't know Christ is going to hell. That's apathy. Satan lures us in there. He tempts us in to that sin, that evil desire. Greed. God wants us to be generous givers and not greedy hoarders. Christmas Eve, a lot of you guys were here within our five services on Christmas Eve and we watched something amazing happen. Collectively, within five services, we collected over $32,000 for five different situations of need in our community. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. The people that we were giving to were overwhelmed by the generosity And I believe God was looking down on those moments so full of pleasure and gladness as he watched us give. But God doesn't want us to see the things that he has given to us as things for us to just hold on to so tightly for ourselves, but he wants us to use the things that he's given us to bless others. Because we have to ask ourselves the question, Who gave you the skills and the abilities to go and have a job? God. Who even gave you breath to breathe? God. Who gave you the the, the finances that come from that job? God. And he, he blesses us on and on and on. And he even blesses us to the point where we are able to do things that we enjoy. 
hobbies that we like to do. And he doesn't want us to just take those things in. He doesn't want us to put those things on the throne. He wants us to put him on the throne. And he wants us to use the blessings he's given us for others. Take a look at the, the, the rich young man in Matthew chapter 19. This guy runs up to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, what do I have to do to be on your team? And Jesus looks at him and he gives him a couple commandments. The guy eagerly, excitedly yells back at him, Jesus, I've done them. I'm, I'm good. I mean, he's pumped. He's like, wow, I'm, I'm actually going to be on Jesus' team. Like, this is incredible. But there was something holding that man's life back. The greed of his life had overwhelmed him. And Jesus knew that. And so Jesus looks at him and says, okay, if, if, if you want to be on my team, you must go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. That man's wealth was his God. So Jesus was saying, in order for me to be your God, you have to kill off that God of your life. And we see, what did the man do? It says that he dropped his head, he walked away, saddened by the news. He wasn't willing to give it up. Greed had overwhelmed him. And wealth wasn't the sinner in this situation. Wealth wasn't the sin. It was because that man had made his wealth his God. He was greedy. He had hoarded it for himself. God wants us to be givers because he ultimately gave to us. Verses six and seven, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can get into these places where we begin thinking that sin is just simply a, a wrong choice that we've made, an, an immoral choice. And in those two circumstances, we technically would be correct. However, God views our sin so much more severely. He hates our sin. Because when we sin, when we make a sinful choice against God, think of it this way, it is like a giant Chuck Norris drop kick to God's design for life and his intention. You guys, can, you guys can laugh. Some of you are just kind of it's like, you can laugh at that. Chuck Norris, Walker, Texas Ranger, great show. But it is. It's like we literally go to God and just give him the Heisman when we choose to sin, saying that I think this is better for me than the way that you have laid out for me. But what we see here is that the wrath of God is coming because of sin and because of sinful choices. And at this point, this is where I would urge you, if you are, if you are sitting here this morning and everything that I've said to this point, you are, you're just wondering, you have questions and, and you're at the point where you're realizing that maybe you don't have Jesus as your Lord, as your savior, as your righteousness, then I would urge you in these moments, if you are seeing your need for a savior, do not waste any time right there in your chair. I would urge you to bow your head and to believe in Christ and his forgiveness for your life. Because we believe that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, 
that you are going to be saved. Praise God for that grace. And I would urge you to run to that grace right now and do not waste any time because God's wrath is coming. It is piling up because of the sins of this world. And he is going to return one day and he is going to judge the sins of the world. But if we are in Christ, what do we learn in verse three? We are hidden in Christ. We no longer have God's wrath. We have God's pleasure. Now, why would you want God's wrath when you could have God's pleasure, when you could have his smile? Wouldn't that be so much better? It is. It's the best thing that's out there. He goes on in in, in verse six, or in verse eight, excuse me, and he, he lists off a few more sins. He says, but now... You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He characterizes these sins by sins of the mouth, sins of of speech. But we know that when Jesus in Luke chapter 6 is talking to the Pharisees, he says to the Pharisees that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so all of these sins, although we are speaking We speak angrily, we speak in rage at times, we speak in malice, we joke crudely and say things that we shouldn't. Those are not simply things that are just just coming out of our mouths. Those Those are things that are happening in our hearts. It's revealing a deeper problem and a deeper need for Christ's forgiveness and transformation. I gotta say, when I... When I was reading through this, man, I, something that I deal with personally, and definitely when I, before I was a Christian, I was, I was a rage monster before I was a Christian. I had a very, very short fuse. My temper was very, very quick. And as I was playing basketball at Grace College, I led our conference both years in one stat, okay? You're not going to see this stat televised on ESPN, You're not going to see this stat celebrated by any sporting outlets. I led our conference, out of every player that played in our conference, I led our conference in fouls. Okay? I led our conference in fouls. Because it was hard for me, with my short temper, it was hard for me to deal. If someone gave me a little hip check, or maybe an extra little elbow... I was very quick to get revenge. I, it was just hard for me to take it. That's just how I was. And I still, to this day, even as a Christian, I, I have to really, really work at that, at controlling that. Like there was times when officials, they would almost give me technical fouls, not by the words I was saying, but just by the way I was looking at them. Okay? Like these refs were, were much more gracious than I was because, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I would give the look, but there there are kids in the room. I don't want to scare anybody. But all of us have these these temptations to be frustrated and to speak angrily and to lash out and to demean and bring down and to gossip about one another. God wants us to be people that are speaking graciously about one another. He wants us to be people that are building one another up instead of tearing one another down. 
He wants us to be people characterized by his love. Husbands, as I, as I was examining this, I know for, for a lot of us, we, we fall into this, to this way where we get home and our, our wives say something that we may not understand and we're called to live with them in an understanding way, but we fail and we just like lash out and we're like, I don't understand, I don't get it. And we just kind of, we just kind of, our tones just erupt. We've probably all been there. That's a tone of anger, of frustration. And so as husbands, we are called to speak tenderly and, and we are called to love and understand our wives and how we talk to them, how we approach them. Wives, you're called to respect your husbands. You're not, you're called to, to, to build him up when you're with your girlfriends. You're not called to, to, to bring out or highlight the things that he's done wrong. You're called to highlight the things that he's done right. As singles, everybody, all of us are called to speak graciously and to elevate one another because we are on the same team. He goes on in verse nine, he says, do not lie to each other. We don't lie to each other because all of us, as in verse 11 it says, he describes all of these different groups, Gentiles, Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythian, all these different groups that were so abstract and apart from each other. But he's making the point that all of us are on the same team if we have Jesus Christ as our Lord. None of us would lie to a teammate. If I told a teammate, hey man, practice is at two o'clock, when I knew practice was at one o'clock, guess who's running when that teammate shows up late at two o'clock? Me. We don't lie to each other because when we lie, when we speak bitterly about one another, when we hold grudges against one another, it tears the team down. And God wants us to work together to complete the mission that he's given to all of us because if one of us is attacking an issue, it could take a long, long time. But if all of us attack an issue and realize the mission that's at hand, God can accomplish so much through all of us. We're on the same team. So that's the what. That's what God wants us to fight against. Those are the temptations and desires that Satan is going to be throwing at us. That's the what. Now why? Why should we fight? Why should we stand up and battle through the Holy Spirit against these evil temptations? The why is because if you believed in Jesus Christ, something amazing happened. You stepped into God's dressing room. Now, this is a dressing room unlike anything else. The coolest dressing room ever. For me, when my wife and I are shopping, I never try on clothes. I always say, I'll try it on at home. I'll see if it fits. If it doesn't, I'll take it back. Because when I step into dressing rooms, the, the doors are like usually like this high. And so it's just kind of an awkward thing. Like, I just, I have to like cower in the corner a little bit so people don't see me. It's an uncomfortable thing. But when we step into God's dressing room, something extraordinary happened. When he saved you, when you said, I need Jesus's forgiveness, you stepped in and you took off your old self, your old way of living, 
that you realized you needed Jesus from. And when you took it off, it was thrown away. It was nailed to the cross. It was buried, no longer to be seen again. And as you took that off, you literally put on this new self, this new way of life that Christ won for you. And when you stepped out of that dressing room, you were a new creation. Wow. Everything changed. Everything was changed. There's times like I'm, I've, I've had to wait on my wife in the, in the dressing room. And I, it's, it's just an awkward experience when you're waiting for your wife in the dressing room. I just, just kind of sit there with my head down and she comes out with something that she's never had on before. And I'm sometimes just like, wow, like she looks good. Times that by like affinity. And that's how we were when we stepped out of God's dressing room as new creations in Christ, never to be the same again. And ever since that point, he has been shaping us and molding us. And because now we have stepped out of that dressing room, he has given us a new way of living, a new mission. And that is why we fight against our old way of living. Because that old way of living has been killed, it has been buried, it is as far as the east is from the west, never to be seen again. God died to save us now from our old way of living because he knows that his way is best. That his way, if we submit to his way, is going to lead to the fullness of joy and the greatest happiness that we could ever have in our lives. So that's the why. That's why we live differently. But how? How do we do this? How do we fight? How do we stand up to Satan's attacks? He's there, he's in our view. We know he's there, we know he's gonna fight us. How do we stand up and fight back? How do we do that? Number one, we've gotta come out of the darkness. Repentance leads to freedom. There are some of you in this room right now that have been battling with secret sins, sexual immorality of porn, dealings with your money poorly, ways that you are communicating with your your coworkers or your wives, your spouses, your friends, lies that you are secretly committing that no one else knows about. There are secret sins that, that, that are in some of your lives that you have never dealt with. You've just kind of put your head down and you try to fight it on your own. You know it's sin, but you haven't done anything about it. What I would urge you to do is to come out of the darkness and repent. Repent before God and repent before someone else that you trust. A brother or sister in Christ that is going to wrap you in love and forgiveness Because repentance leads to recovery. When we step out of the darkness and into the light, the darkness vanishes. And a spiritual process of redemption begins. We literally, when we repent, and we turn our backs to the way that we were living, and we expose that to the light, a spiritual process begins. A weight is lifted off of our shoulders. 
And we are then able to take steps forward like we never have before. So step out of the darkness. Repentance leads to freedom. Secondly, his word is the sword of the spirit. Do you guys think that any of William Wallace's men would have stood at that battle line without a sword? No, absolutely not. When he called those men to war, none of them showed up with just their sandals and their kilt. They had to bring a sword so that they could fight. We see in Ephesians that this word, this Bible, this truth is the sword of the spirit. It divides, it cuts, it shows us things in our hearts that we have never seen before. And the Spirit uses this word to transform us and to bring us to the truth. How are we going to be able to discern and know what Satan's lies are if we don't know the truth for ourselves? This new year, January 1st, 2017, what better time, if, if you have found yourself this morning absent from God's word, what better time to start a reading plan? If you go to Google right now or after the service, after the service, if you go to Google right now, type in Bible reading plans, you will find page after page of search results. They're all over. There's a lot of different kinds. I would urge you, if, if you, if you kind of come here finding yourself absent from God's word, if you've been absent for a while, that would be my encouragement to you. Because this word is going to fuel your life. This is the sword that you can use to battle off Satan's attacks and his lies. Thirdly, we need to be singing his praises privately and as a community. Some of you kind of like, maybe like, that's, that's kind of strange. I've never heard about fighting sin through singing. But singing actually as a physical part of our bodies, when we sing and we give our hearts and truly engage our hearts in singing, it releases chemicals in our bodies that actually eats away at stress and anxiety. Secular scientists have proven that. But when we as as Christians spiritually engage our hearts in singing God's praises, We turn our minds and our hearts to the things above, to the things of Christ. We remember afresh what he has done for us. And it gives us a motivation, a reoccurring motivation to stay the course, to keep fighting, even when you feel like giving up. So when you're in your car, maybe driving to work, your your morning commute, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, man, I sing like a crow. I don't like to sing. I would just encourage you to try it. Turn your, turn your radio to, I think it's 1047-969, and maybe just do one song. One song comes on the radio, and you, you know, maybe start by humming. Maybe start by humming, and then gradually work yourself into singing. And then maybe at the point you, you, you grow to love it to where you're, you're growing your, your whole commute. But sing privately. Make that a practice in your life, because it's going to remind you of, of why you're living and what your purpose is. We need to be singing together as a community. Now, some of you I know that you come and, and Jeremy and the band, they lead us in incredible worship and some of you are silent. My call to you is to sing, to sing. 
your remark back is, Tannen, I'm distracting. I don't want the person in front of me to hear how my voice sounds. Okay, well, guess what? God wants to hear your voice because he gave you that voice. And he wants you to shout his praises as you give that to him in worship. Fourthly, we need to be living together. We need to be living as friends and not strangers. Because there's not a soul that's ever lived or that ever will be. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not that was meant to live alone. God just did not make humans. He did not make us to be alone. He made us to live together. And he made, us, he made it so that we would be able to fight, not on our own, but together. Pastor Mike, he, uh, in the announcements earlier, he brought up group link. If you're not a part of a small group, I would urge you to run to that meeting a couple weeks from now. Go to the website, find out when it is, and be at that meeting and get, a, get plugged into a small group. Get plugged into a group of godly people that are going to want the best for your life. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, grace is big. I don't know how to get plugged in. I don't know how to connect. Group link is where you need to be. I know for my wife and I, being a part of a small group of people, like-minded people that are going to be spurring us on towards love and good works has been vital for our growth but you're setting yourself up to fail in this battle if you see that you need to be doing it on your own. We need each other. And then lastly, we need to humble ourselves to be teachable. And we shouldn't take offense to a godly rebuke. So many of us in our lives, we have, we have built up these walls of pride to the point when someone comes and, and, and just even provides an observation we shoot it down and we keep on going. We think that we have it all together. But God wants us to be humble. He wants us to be teachable. Because there are going to be things in your life, there are going to be sins, there are going to be things that, that you are dealing with or falling to that you don't even realize. And it's going to take the people that are closest to you that see it to then speak into your life to offer that godly and loving rebuke so that your life can then change. But God works through the people that we are living with. But we first need to be humble and teachable. What's our foundation for all of, it, all of this? It sounds tiring. It sounds like a grueling task, but guess What? Some of you are dealing with conviction right now and I hope that that is the case. But the reality is we serve a God in heaven that in eternity's past, he looked down on all of us and he foresaw every wrong choice and every sin that all of us have ever committed and guess what he said? I want that man, I want that woman in my family. He said, I will do anything to have them in my family. I will even give up my son's life so that they, sinners, can be in my family and can be my child for eternity. God did that for us. He held nothing back. He gave his precious son so that we could be his sons 
and daughters. There is no price tag on that love. As Christians, that is what we are called to be treasuring. Not our day-to-day routines. He wants us to treasure him. He wants us to be reminded of him. And if that's our treasure, that gospel, that truth, that is gonna fuel our fire and desire to kill off and fight the evil works that Satan is going to try to work through us. We have the power. Jesus gives us the treasure. He gives us the hope of heaven and he will give us the power to live for him. I want you to check out this psalm. Psalm chapter 19. It talks about the Lord's commands. It talks about how good they are. Psalm 19, starting in verse seven, it says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. And may they not rule over me then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May this be our prayer. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God's ways are the best way. And he gives us the power and the ability to live in his way and to delight in his statutes. Let's treasure Jesus. Let's tune our hearts now to sing his grace this morning. Why don't you all stand with us?